set piece. It's graphically impressive even to this day. There's a lot of unnecessary silly immaturity for a lot of poop jokes. There are, I forgot how many poop jokes there are on Tatooine and around about Tatooine. Um, just the fact that they, even the translation of Bantha Fodder is Pudu is like, you are aiming your, again, the level of maturity that you're intended for your audience at the start is just plummeting as you're going through this right now in a way that just feels whiplashing. But, as well, I, I think, I, 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 I just want to point out, I think that George Lucas is also a bad comedy writer. Like, you know, like he's a, in the sense that he's not a good romance writer. He's not Shonda Rhimes. He's also not like Dave Chappelle. So he I think it's just one person doing too much. Anyway, well, go ahead. I think it's just gotten worse every time. He's done some he's written some scripts that are funny or have funny elements. But he's key role in the Indiana Jones series. He key role in the film Willow. He wrote the original Star Wars films, which had funny stuff that were well done. I think he's just kind of gotten more silly on that end than it shows. Yeah. But Padres itself. Graphically impressive, exciting set piece, well done tension associated with it. Acting around the margins, whatever else, could easily be removed from the film to fit better into the plot, along with basically all of Tatooine. But as a thing to just excite your audience, it's a fun, effectively mid-act bit of a bit of excitement in the film. Yeah, Jamie, I I, I like it honestly, as, as it's fun. Um, I don't love it. Like I'm not saying that it's a highlight. Uh, you know that's. I clearly am still the negative naysayer on here, but it's fun. It led to an amazing racing video game on the N64. Oh, God, I love that game. Hours. Well, I, I even knew, my my little young teenage mind still knew. When I saw that, I thought, this is going to be a cool video game. Like, absolutely. And it was. I, I, and still is. Yeah. I usually forget. I forget which lines are actually Watto lines from the movie versus the ones that were only on the N64. <laughs> You're upgrading your pod racer if you want to win, I think. Like, yeah. my thinks that's in the movie. <laughs> Video game is canon now. Exactly. Uh, but I, it did take a long time. But it, it's action, it, and it's just a different kind of action. Like, racing movies are a thing. There's a reason. The Fast and the Furious or the old chariot races, There's it's a fun thing. It, it, um, it, I, it's, I notice the, um, you know, this is in a galaxy far, far away. Sure. It's long not time ago. universes. And the and the the commentators who I do love Hi, to hyperbole. He said somebody explodes. They're like, I don't care what universe you're that from. That's gotta hurt. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? No one in your entire galaxy has ever been to a different galaxy, let alone a different universe. There's only one universe. What are you saying? That's like, oh, we're here in space land. No, you're in normal land. This is supposed to be normal for you. You're supposed to think that space travel is normal. You don't talk about your space. <laughs> You're talking about your normal car because you're in space. Yeah, it's not again, not great dialogue. Another silly, silly writing. I, I, I did I like the uh, t- t- uh, one thing I definitely like. I actually really like Jabba's appearance. Like, I did too. I did too. I mean, he's it's CGI. Small. It's small, but he's there and he's part of the world. And I like that little bit of world building there. I also love that he fell asleep during the race, which is yeah, great too. too. Yeah, I was trying to explain this to my mom. I was watching this movie with my mom, and my mom doesn't know anything about Star Wars or anything. She has a vague memory of the original films. That's it. She thought Prince, uh, Queen Amidala was Princess Leia for like half the movie. Uh, and at, at one point I had to explain like, when Jabba came out, she goes, I think I know him. And I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, well, what is he doing? And I was like, hmm, can I explain what Jabba's doing here? And here's what I came up with. I was like, mom, it's basically it's like the, the, the Don Corleone of this thing. Like he's putting the race on. He controls everything. He probably is controlling the take. 
the bets, the concession. Like it's all a money making thing for him. So he's just, that's why he doesn't care who wins. Cause he's going to, he's going to win no matter what. Cause he's taking the bets. And that was my thought of Jabba's role here. Is that what you guys took away from this? Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's a necessary appearance. This is all under his domain. This is all under his watch. This isn't, and some always meant to be bread and circuses. He's trying to entertain the rabble as part of, as, as part of run, running his world and make money. Yeah. And make well, money I, too. I actually wasn't even thinking, you know, you're probably right that he was making money. You're probably right that he controls this just like he controls everything else. Why would the crime lord not control gambling? But I really thought, saw it only as, you know, he, he's, he's not just the crime lord. He's basically the crime lord mayor. And the mayor is showing up to wave at the, the daimyo and, and have a snack, eat, eat, you know, take a bite out of some little creature and ring the bell and well, take a little bite. live chickeny things that are right there in front of him. He's the daimyo. He's got to gotta go through the city. And what? Yeah, the daimyo makes money, but the daimyo also does the spectacle, does the circus. And this is that. that I, I only was thinking of that is that this is the fun, you know, the parade, the circus. One thing from a filmmaking standpoint, this is another scene. Another reason I do like the scene is it's another scene that reveals how much George Lucas just loves classic cinema of where have you guys seen the Charlton Heston version of Ben-Hur? Clips. I haven't seen it. This no. is meant to be the chariot race. Yeah. This is the chariot race from that scene. Even the ending of it, when they get latched together and the other one's chariots effectively pulled apart. This is George Lucas loving Ben-Hur and wanting to do the chariot race in the Star Wars universe. And I like as a starry, as a kid that was clearly inspired by that film, I'm I'm fully behind him in terms of being able to replicate something he loved in his own universe and do it well. So this is this maybe going too far on a tangent or backwards, but this is something I have seen online that really resonated with me. Um, and it was apparently from one of the comics where Jar Jar is saying like, "Why didn't we just beat up Watto and take the piece we need?" And and the joke answer to that is Qui Gon says, "Oh no 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 no, we're Jedi. We can't hit people and steal from them." We have to try to mind control them into accepting these pieces of plastic what? as if they're money. And Which is that, why he's... And, that, and when that doesn't work, when I can't mind control him and take away his free will to steal from him that way, then I have to go into um, totally being fine with this slave situation for a little while, ignoring it completely as much as I can. Um, he saves one, but eh, we're, quote, we're not here to free the slaves. I'm like, it'd be nice if you did. Um and then I'm going to be involved in putting the kid in a life and death race to gamble. Uh, gosh, it's like you could have just hit the guy on the head. It would have been a lot more ethical. To Only a Sith speaks in absolutes. It, I mean, he, he they, they really weren't there for that. And, like, I think that if the Jedi go to a planet, get upset. No, if, if the Jedi go to a planet and they, upon landing – don't like what's happening either it could be the slave trade it could be gambling it could be uh murder it could be whatever and they start fixing the society all around i think the jedi would council would be pretty frustrated with that just stop saying that only the speech sith speak in absolutes because that's the silliest dumbest lie in the world because oh i would never ever say an unqualified statement not once in my life and i say this without qualification it's one of my least favorite lines in Star Wars. I will not stop saying it. Neither one of you can make me stop saying it because uh, I think that would, that that's the idea of the Jedi, which is like, yo, like we have a limited thing that we are doing here, and it is to go accomplish this mission. It's not to like show up on a world and enforce our ideas on everybody because they could. They have magic powers. They can make things move with their mind. They have to be. There has to be some guardrails on this thing. 
I, I have gotten us again ahead on movies because this is this is an episode three and a little bit in the sequels. I the only reason I could possibly only a Seth speaks an absolute. Sorry, go ahead. The the only reason that I could like that line <laughs> is because it so accidentally encompasses the Jedi where it they was. Where they, yeah, exactly. Where they think that why I hate it. perfectly balanced organization. We are the balance. And if things were more like us and more balanced, they'd be great. But also, we're nonsensical and hypocritical. Because the sentence is nonsensical and hypocritical and has flaws in its exact – you can't salvage that sentence. The sentence breaks if you salvage it. Oh, I, Disagree. Re- Go ahead, Spencer. Return, returning to the actual script of this film. All right. Uh, one other example, I think, of just an example of whether it's not necessarily the script, it's not necessarily the actors, it's the directing, is after the race, when Anakin's mom comes to congratulate him. And when she basically says something like, you have inspired people with all that you have achieved, it is utterly flat delivery, and somebody said that that was okay. I think it's just an example, again, if George Lucas was here for the set pieces, he was here for maybe the overarching plot, he was here to dazzle the audience, and when watching the actors deliver lines, he would just go, eh, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix it in post or something. Because her delivery is the most flat in the entire film when she delivers what's meant to be a heartwarming moment of encouragement to Anakin about all we've achieved by surviving this race. I agree. Every, everything out of her mouth is pretty flat. I don't think that actress ever says anything with any emotion. I, I don't like anything, any of her scenes, really. Uh, but uh, do you, go ahead, Spencer. Do you have what? something else on this? Well, last thing I'll say about this is we referenced them already, but in this moment, in terms of, you know, characters meeting each other, building up the pod race, Qui-Gon takes a little vial of blood from Anakin, totally doesn't explain why he's taking it from it. He just jacks a little bit of the kid's blood as he's going. Sure. Yeah. Um, For sickness. And I'm sure he does that also. He probably does it off camera, probably does scan him, um, but does midi-chlorines. It's been decades, people. The Internet is debated back and forth. We have some new showrunners that love mini-chlorines as far as you can throw them, that are now running the Star Wars universe in some great ways. How do we as a trio feel about mini-chlorines? Jamie, you're aggressively pointing at me right now. Go on. Oh, no. I would love to hear what you all have to say first. I hate them. I, 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 fund, I fundamentally, I hated them, and I hated them when I was 12. Cause I, I loved the magic. I loved Star Wars, I loved the Force being something that couldn't just be immediately measured in a Dragon Ball Z power scale kind of shit. I never enjoyed that element of there is something inherent in your cells that lets you precisely measure to a point how powerful somebody's gonna be in the Force. I felt that was in no way in keeping with what we've seen in the Force before, and I don't like the addition that it makes in the Star Wars universe. And it's, Apparent that even at the time, Lucas got enough pushback that they're basically never referenced again until aspects of uh, <laughs> until Dave Filoni revealed that he loves them and wants to put them into in his stuff. I am a I I agree with pretty much everything you've said, and I'm going to keep a very positive tone of voice so that I don't sound like an angry. Person. No, no, look, no, no, just no. be the you're a heel. All the all make the audience all angry right. at you. Here. All the women in Fort Worth are ugly, and all the men are poor, and and you hate the audience, and you're healed. Go. It's like they saw into the future, and they saw the Harry Potter world, where, no, you're only good, like, if your parents were good, probably. Occasionally, people can overcome their blood, but basically, it's your bloodline that matters. And we're going to put that in this one also. And we're going to put in the sequels also, because I'm mad about that, and the sequels also, where it only matters what your blood is. That's racist, sir. And I'm going off the idea that it was 
sensical that there is a mystical force that some people are attuned with and some people are not, and you can learn to get better at it with your mind and who you're, who you are. And some of it's luck and maybe it's heredity. You know, you're strong like your father before you, but it's not something measurable and scientific. It's still just about who you are and anybody could achieve it. Now, well, give them a blood transfusion. Anybody can be strong in the force of blood transfusion. What happens when you train? Do you attract more midichlorians through the ether? Do they mosquitoes give you more midichlorians when you are training? And if you don't train hard enough, when Obi-Wan was in hiding, did he bleed too much and all his midichlorians fell out? Uh, Mad. And I'm, I bet the Expanded Universe actually has answers to some of those complaints. But it's it's there's no reason for it. It's weird with no payoff. And it takes a lot of the magic away. And it makes it a lot more over your predestined and a lot less over what you can achieve in your own life. And a lot less sensical that your brain, there's a brain blood barrier, man. I don't know how that works, but the idea that your brain controls things in your blood that controls the force somehow breaks my suspension disbelief a little bit. Are, are midichlorian also mitochondria? That, does that mean the, like the, the comparison that we're trying to draw? Or are there some completely different thing that's in our cells that we just don't have in our galaxy? Completely different thing. Um, okay. Because, well, I, I don't know this for sure. I, I'm pretty sure it's a completely different thing because every cell has to have a mitochondria. So everybody has the same number, 100% or whatever in DNA work. I don't know. So, I don't, so, I don't. If, if they were mitochondria, it could be like literally Jedi can just make more energy. They have more energy producing organelles inside their cells, and that's why they're able to do what they do. But who, who the hell knows? I, I don't think so. Uh, wait, mitochondria. Uh, I was going to say mitochondria. Midichlorian. So I think that so I don't I didn't really like the inclusion of the midichlorian because um, so I don't think it was ever the intention of George Lucas. And I, I get this from hearing him talk about it, because this is a very controversial thing that he has had to address before. And subsequent producers of Star Wars content, Dave Filoni being one of them, have talked about this. That it was like never that. it was never meant to be. This is absolutely how powerful you are and it is a hundred percent measurement of who would ever win in a battle it can't be that because obi-wan has like one of the lowest midichlorian counts and he beats everybody he kicked the shit out of darth maul and vader and everybody so it, it there is a lot of things that go into how you're going to fight in a specific situation your fighting style how you're drawing from the force what you're motivated by there's a lot of stuff right midichlorians was supposed to be like a another explanatory variable and honestly i think that george lucas if he was being honest would tell you the reason he put it in there is so that he could very quickly tell the audience this kid anakin is the strongest in the galaxy like that's what he was trying to do and i wish he hadn't done it. i think because also there's the line of well even master yoda doesn't have the midichlorian well nobody is in their right mind thinks this 10 year old is stronger than master yoda and and it can never get stronger than Master Yoda. So it just it doesn't. There's a lot of nurture involved here, right? It's not just a hundred percent measurement of how you strong, how strong you are in the Force. Or at least that's how I never took it. But to answer your question, I don't really like it. I think it's created unnecessary angst and frustration uh, with the Star Wars universe from fans. Like, it, just remove it. Like, I, it doesn't add enough to deal with everyone flipping the fuck out about it. Like I, I kind of heard it and thought, hmm, well, that's kind of dumb. And I moved on. Uh, and oh. so it's okay. So, so uh, 
I, I, apparently this is going to be my bit even more than being a heel is I want to talk about the other movies while I'm talking about this movie. But yeah, because you seem more you seem more angry about Ray's lineage being Palpatine than just being from someone than than actually Episode One and in, in what you were saying. I, I actually am like I, as much as I, I I feel like I'm maybe in the same way that you love the prequels but can see a lot of problems. I can see problems. So I'm, I guess I'm an apologist and a fan of the sequels, but they tie oh, in. Welcome to the boat, buddy. A lot yeah, of space. Uh, and I hate everything. <laughs> a lot of space on my boat. Welcome so, aboard. So I, it, whenever we do, uh, you know, episode eight, I'm sure I'll talk about it then too. Ooh. I, I loved the, I, oh, I'm planning ahead. This, this train don't stop. Um, I loved that a part in that made my, may fixed or may improved episode one. I love it when a sequel improves the original in any way, shape or form, because it's, it often doesn't. And when it does, I love it. So when the sequel made something in episode one better for me, I loved that. I loved it that midichlorians are not the end all be all. At least if you listen to episode eight, it's not about who your family is. Anybody can be part of the force. It's not just, you know, you can be just nobody and have come from nobody and, still be awesome and important because of the power you have inside of you or your hard work or luck or something. And the previous Jedi were kind of stupid and were kind of hypocritical. And when they kept focusing on things like midichlorians and things like power and things like that, they were wrong. And I love that. The idea that, yeah, the midichlorians are a thing, but it really was a mistake to ever pay too much attention to them because that's not the point. And I loved that. And it made me dislike this less. I do feel like, though, this is an example, like a couple other things we've said, it was a negative with no payoff, just questionable choices. And this is going to be something I'm saying in episode two and three also, uh, but just things which I can kind of see why they did it, but the payoff was small and the downside was big. And I think that's the situation here, almost no payoff and and a lot of downside. I agree. I feel, I feel like I we're eventually distilling this down to a quote from Ratatouille of where a, not everyone can be a great chef, but a great chef can come from everywhere. Is kind of the philosophy we want to assign to the Force is that, sure, not everybody can waltz into be a Jedi, but anyone could be should be capable of such. Shout out Ratatouille. I never also I also never took Metaclorians to mean that like because there is a measurable thing in your blood that therefore you could only be force sensitive if one of your parents were or your family was. I mean, I understand the impl- I understand why people would draw that inference because blood and Qui-Gon ask who the father is. I get that. But I I never took it that way cuz it, it couldn't be that way because Qui-Gon says if he was born in the Republic, we would have already found him, meaning they have to be doing some sort of like testing of all the children. It's not just tracking like blood and lineage. And maybe if some was thinking on my part cuz I certainly wouldn't like a a Star Wars story where the only way you can be force sensitive is if your parents were force sensitive. That's kind of stupid. It, it is kind of dental that uh, it seems it seems like the strongest ones generally come from pow- families of Jedi's. So no, I don't think you only can. But I mean, like any G- DNA related thing. Hey, look, look, uh, brother, look, brother. I liked I liked the I liked Ray not being related to anyone. I liked that too. I did too. When they connected her to Palpatine, I didn't we like that. We all liked this. We all liked that. Great. Ryan Johnson, thank but, you. Uh, let's get back to the plot so we can get through this at some point. Yeah, this, the last thing I'll say on it, I, I agree very much with you guys, where th- this was intended by George Lucas to be the same thing as the Dragon Ball Z scanner saying it's over 9,000. It was meant to just be an easy way for the audience to realize, oh, shit, this kid's powerful. Yes. He just did not plot out what implications it would broadly have on the universe. And the fact that that's the only view we get of it, if he didn't intend it to be bigger, he just didn't film it right. Because 
this is the test that we see. It's immediately compared to Yoda, and they say nothing else on it. It assigns it more weight than he wanted us to, but he doesn't give us any other choice. You want to know how you do it? You have him have a conversation with Obi-Wan the first time that there's like, this kid's powerful as shit. Did you sense something interesting he, about this boy? Yes, I did. It's like a Nova in the it, fort is surrounding him. Yeah. Something like that. And or he, talk I, about the prophecy earlier than the, the Jedi Council. Like, bring it up between the two of them before you ever even go into the Council. He did. He does give us a choice, though, because, like, oh, they, they, they talk about how Obi-Wan has the lowest midichlorian count and, and everything. Girl. No, but I mean, yeah, no. So not right in the second. You're right, not right in the second. But it is discussed in the in books. It's discussed in a lot of the Star Wars media. Though, which, which is, I feel like is in response to explain what was people had started going in ways with since. Yeah. You, you okay. Well, then. You, all right. You, well, Spencer feels like it's in response, so we're just going to dump it all out. All right. So let's move on to um, the rest of the plot. So. Uh, they get all, they, woo, they won the pod race. And they get all yeah, the stuff, uh, they're going to load it all in the ship. Boom, Darth Maul jumps out. And he's wow, wow, wow. Now, uh, one thing I want to point out in this scene that I thought was very interesting is, and I think you could, you could chalk it up to one or two things, bad, bad acting or this, this thing that I thought, which was the, you know, the I think the guy, the captain of the ship just goes, hey, Qui-Gon's in trouble. And like, they, they kind of scoot the ship over so they could see, and like Qui-Gon is fighting somebody with a red lightsaber. And there is a noticeable lack of concern on Obi-Wan's face. And I think you could just say, well, that's a flat scene. They acted it one take and they were done. I thought that like Obi-Wan had such absolute faith in Qui-Gon's skills and abilities that the idea that he was in trouble or couldn't handle himself was just outside of his reservation. And that made that setup made when Qui-Gon actually loses to Darth Maul, the shock that happens to Obi-Wan even more consistent because like it never occurred to him that like Qui-Gon might lose to this fucking guy. And it, you know, and it obviously didn't occur to Qui-Gon either because Qui-Gon, uh, this is more of the ancillary material that Spencer thinks is just simply knee jerk and we should throw out. But there is, mm-hmm. there is explanations that like Qui-Gon was like, did not take Maul seriously did not think he could lose to them. He wasn't even through all of his training to learn to ascend to be a force ghost. Like he was at, like the fact that Qui-Gon becomes a force ghost is actually inconsistent with canon because he was only halfway through his training for that. Like he was not planning to die. This was a shock to him. So that moment, that little moment where Obi-Wan looks and he, he sees Qui-Gon fighting somebody with a red lightsaber and he's like, yeah, okay, well, I guess we need to like fly over there. He doesn't freak out shows this like implicit faith in the master's ability to me. Jamie? So, I I do agree completely. And I actually read the same way. His acting in that scene was unnotable to me because yes, that's how I would expect him to react. In hindsight though, actually thinking back, shouldn't he have seemed a little bit more surprised that a Sith has shown up? Sure. Absolutely. Cause, Cause okay. I'm not worried that my master could lose. I buy that. But someone's I, trying I, to fight my master. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's not that my master is fighting. It's what my master is well, fighting. I don't think that – I think that Sith were so – like there's been such a long period that the Sith have been or, dormant. It was clearly that, a Jedi or something. The fact, that he's, the fact that someone with a lightsaber who I've never met is attacking us doesn't matter if the guy falls on his face or tries to run over a child that he's never seen before just because <laughs> Yoda. Hey, sorry, I, I, somebody pointed this out to me that when he tries to kill Anakin, he doesn't know Anakin's a thing. He's just a villain who, on his way to fight the Jedi, 
I'll kill him. I'll, I'll do this on the way. Just why not? No, um, I mean, you, you're, you raise a good point yeah. that he should be like, how does this other being have a lightsaber, right? But I do think there's, there's, it is important to say in the story though, that like when Qui-Gon tells Obi-Wan, I think it was like Sith, that's like, Obi-Wan probably had no real, like, like, pull for that. Like any, any real barometer as to like, what a Sith looks like or any interaction with one before, because Palpatine has been the apprentice of Darth Plagueis now for like 50, like 30 years or some crazy number. And like, they have not been out in the public to the point of, which is consistent in the dialogue of this, of the movie where Darth Maul tells Palpatine, like, are we finally coming out of the shadows now? Can I finally basically be public? It, it, it is true that just like in terms of the level of separation in time, maybe this is just revealing that, that Obi-Wan just does not know history. The guy got an F in his history course at the Jedi Academy, and so he didn't bother to learn about, you know, the Byzantine Empire. He wasn't, well, The Byzantine dynasty has come out of nowhere to attack. I mean, it's that, it's that level of separation in time. Yeah. Spencer, he wasn't a top student, but again, explanatory material, we've thrown it out. Doesn't right. exist. Right. Yeah, horrible right. stuff. It, 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 here's the way I would compare it, though. Say that you were the only country on Earth with airplanes. You were literally the only country on Earth with airplanes. And you were... Shut up, right, brothers? <laughs> I guess it was true for a little while. Yeah. Uh, but, but, okay, so, so you've got your fighter planes, and all of a sudden, there's a fighter plane with a different color. Oh, and by the way, there's only like 200 fighter planes. You have met them all. Um, here comes a different fighter plane that you've never seen before shooting at you. You might remember that there used to be a country called, you know, Germanistan. I don't know, whatever. Whoever used to have airplanes, you might remember that. Even if you don't, who has built an airplane from scratch and flying it and attacking us? What has gone away? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> what, what, one kudo I will give, just like, you know, we could debate the acting. But I, I want to give credit to the, the physical characterization that uh, Ray Park gives for Darth Maul. Uh, I, I, think, I think it needs to be recognized. This guy's only got three lines in this film. But the physicality that he brings to the character, the almost just p- pacing menace of like, like, like a caged animal. Yes. Is very well done for the character in all the scenes that he's in. Including this opening scene of where, this is one of the first time we've ever seen Jet, we've seen Jedi fight, you know, since Darth, you know, Darth Vader and Luke are going at each other. And these guys are suddenly doing acrobatic, flippy moves and it looks pretty realistically well done and like, well sold to this, this martial artist slash stuntman in terms of what we brought to the character. Ray Park is, consistently recognized by Star Wars fans is doing a really good job with this role. He was even in the latest Star Wars like uh celebration that happened this year. He was there. Um people continue to to celebrate the role that he did. So let's continue to try to get through kind of what the beats of the the story. So um they go back to Coruscant and a bunch of politics and crap happens in Coruscant. We don't have to talk about it exactly, but what ends up happening is basically there is lack of faith in Chancellor Valorum's leadership. Uh, Amidala Pushed decides. Amidala decides. Yeah, of course. Amidala decides she's going to leave. Palpatine is now a nominee to be the next chancellor, and uh, Qui Gon is uh, brings the boy uh, Anakin before the Jedi Council. Now, in front of the Jedi Council, uh, Anakin is placed there. Uh, Yoda calls him in, and a great scene here where Yoda's like, "Hey." Um, I think I sense that you like your mother. And Anakin does not hide it. He says, yes, of course I love my mother. What does that got to do with anything? Kind of snapping at Yoda, which I thought was interesting. It was first time in the Jedi Council room. He snaps at Yoda. Uh, not a good sign. Yoda says everything. It has everything to do with it. He tries to explain that, uh, this idea of attachment and how that can create 
fear that can create all of these emotions that eventually lead to suffering, which is the exact timeline that Anakin ends up on anyway. But uh, Qui-Gon continues to push the idea that the boys should be trained. Um, we uh, eventually we get back to uh, Naboo and that is the scene that I really liked where uh, they go to the Gungans and Queen Amidala Padme steps out and goes, ah, I'm actually the queen and will you please help us? And it sets up for the big battle on Naboo between the Gungans and the Trade Federation while um, Padme and all of her crew try to go back into the palace to the Trade Federation leadership. And around this time, guess who shows back up? Darth Maul. And we have the big battle between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan. Jamie. I actually would want to hit something that we skipped past was um, sure. that Qui-Gon in front of the council. I loved it so much. This is one thing that I loved. I love everything about Qui-Gon more than I remembered. Mm-hmm. And in this, he's like, I, I, I leave it up to the council's judgment. I, I'm, I think whatever you think. Uh, oh, we're not going to train him. That's outrageous! <laughs> He's a loose cannon! He like, flips out as soon as the thing he was expecting them to do doesn't happen, and I love that so much! Yeah, Yoda is not, Yoda and Qui- Yoda get along, Yoda get, Yoda gets along with everybody. He, he does, he's not the type of guy that has like a fallout with people. But he, he and Qui-Gon do not see eye to eye on a great many things, and that's pretty clear. Uh, just to breeze through this, uh, one thing I like, one thing I didn't like about some of the scenes you talked about, um, Ian McDermott playing Palpatine great every time we see him. I love the, manip- I, I love the manipulation. He, how wonderfully he does manipulation on a one-on-one basis with other, other characters, how much he can skillfully seduce them to go in the direction that he wants and how He's so good. natural it feels when he does it. Credit yeah. to that. And ultimately, ultimately whether we can debate whether his plan makes much sense or not in terms of the wheels within wheels. He's playing speed chess beautifully when it comes to what he wants to bring about here. I wish I remember the details. There was one where he says, you should do X. And they say, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, well, okay, you can do Y. And X and Y actually both have the same endpoint. From from our point of view of understanding what he knows, they both are getting the same place. And he said, you're right. Y is a great idea. And I I, I loved it because it was such good manipulation. He tried to get what he wanted. And when he couldn't get it, he just instantly knew a way to get the other person to give him what he wanted instead. Yeah. And we, we see that play out beautifully with respect to uh, Queen Amidala, of where, you know, he gets her to get Chancellor Valormat, and then he basically gets her to go back to Naboo, where he hopes she'll die and hopes she'll basically. fail. Yeah. That's what he sets up. So credit there. Reference this earlier, just to address it briefly. Yoda doesn't talk like this in Empire Strikes Back. Yoda doesn't talk like this in Return of the Jedi. Yoda does not every other word do the words in the wrong order thing. The fan base just loved like the three times that he did that, which was meant to be a joke about phonet- about directly translating Chinese and him being the little Chinese master that the words would necessarily be in a different order. It's meant to be an in joke in those original films. He does it like three or four times, but the fan base loved it so much it became their concept that Yoda always talks this way. And so when Lucas, twenty two years later directs his first Star Wars film in a while, like 17 years later from Return of the Jedi, now Yoda talks like that with every line, because it's become the popular conception of Yoda, rather than what Yoda actually originally was. So, as we talked about... Do you, remember, do you have a problem that Yoda talks like that? Is this I a do. problem for you? I do. I do. I actually much more like how Yoda's portrayed in the original films. I don't... I find it really awkward, and just... I have a line break effect in my mind whenever Yoda talks, and I have to reverse the sentence... I, I've never enjoyed that, and I don't like that that's now become the default of how Yoda talks, 
because of how he's portrayed in this film. Okay, I mean, I I, I don't know. I, it seems like universally loved that he has that speaking Stop. style. The fact that you don't, it's an interesting take. I, I appear to I, be the different. Sure. Uh, so I will say, so a thing on Palpatine. So, um, and it, so this is a Legends book, but I think that it's the only thing we have about Palpatine's training right now. It's called uh, Darth Plagueis, uh, the, the Darth Plagueis book. And in it, there's a scene where Darth Plagueis is talking to Palpatine. And the Plagueis, if you don't know, is Palpatine's master. And he actually says to Palpatine, like, what do you want? Like, he, being a Sith master, is so taken aback by how much ambition his apprentice has. He doesn't even know what the ultimate goal is. And he asks Palpatine, like, what do you actually want? And Pal- that's when Palpatine says, I want to control the universe, basically. That's what he says. He's like, I want to control everything. And that was the first time it sort of comes out between the two of them, what Palpatine's end goal really is. And it stuns Plagueis. It's too much for Plagueis. He kind of laughs it off, and it results in Palpatine eventually killing Plagueis by getting him very drunk, and it's a whole thing. That's Legends, but I think that um, it does speak to the fact that, like, Palpatine was way more ambitious than any of the other Sith. Like, it, it, it's kind of shocking. And my question for you guys is, there's two things going on with Palpatine's character. He is politically ambitious, and he is underhanded, and he consolidates power, and he does all that stuff to try to control the Galactic Senate, ultimately become emperor, and control the political machinations of the galaxy at the same time. He's a fucking Sith Lord and he is, has Sith, he's a Sith apprentice. He kills his master. He has Sith apprentices himself and he, he's also a Sith. And what, in thinking through this, I had the question, did most, when we get to four, five, and six, does the galaxy know that the Emperor is also a force user? I was wondering. We knew that. But did did like did somebody on fucking uh, Kashyyyk did they know that this this guy that they know the emperor the hooded figure is a fucking force user and a Sith? I I have an answer to that, and I don't know if it's correct. It's only from a line, and Star Wars is pretty good that just because a character says it means that character believes it, but it may or may not actually be true. But in episode four, when they're talking about you know you have a dying religion, like you're basically that you're the last you're the person, last you're, member. So high up people in the empire did not realize that the emperor was a high level force user. Right. I, 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 I don't I, think Tarkin did because think about how Tarkin, Tarkin says that Vader. Tark, yeah, exactly. Spencer, he dismisses the force. Tarkin, Tarkin has a, he thinks that the force users are like lepers. Like we should, we should like repel them. I don't think he has any idea that the emperor is a Sith master. Yeah. I don't think anybody knows except like Anakin. Maybe a couple others, I guess his guards or whatever. But even then, um, and, and this is he's really good at not using the force, even in times when his life is in danger and using the force would help him be less likely to die because he knows using it blows his whole cover. This is later in you know, episode three, I think. But he's yeah. he's good at having the self-control to not use the force in times when he doesn't want people to know. So I think he keeps doing that forever. He doesn't need to. He only uses it when he needs to, and only when he doesn't care that people in the room find out. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I think he has purposely kept that knowledge secret from the broader galaxy. People are afraid of it. People are still terrified of it. Like, like, like in, oh, for sure, Return, yeah, yeah. Return of the Jedi, when you know Vader's trying to encourage the officers to work faster, he says, "Well, you know, the Emperor's going to be visiting," and they all collectively Ooh. shit a brick immediately. Yeah, so they're scared of the dude. 
but I don't think they know he's a Sith Lord. I think also just for audience's sake, the moment when Palpatine suddenly starts shooting Force lightning, I imagine audiences just freak the ever-loving shit out when they're saying Return of Jedi in theaters. I did when I saw Return of the Jedi for the first time. It's like, oh, God, what is this dude? So, yeah, I think the mystery is a key part of the character. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, I just I just noticed that, like, I don't know, I just had that thought because I was connecting it to the Dark Plagueis, Plagueis book and, like, how he has this political ambition that seems to me to be, like, kind of wholly separate from this whole part of him that is a Sith Master that constantly has Sith Apprentice. Like, I don't think Maul ever had any role in Palpatine's desire to move up the political ladder of the universe. He was a Sith weapon to be used against a Jedi, but I don't think he crossed over in the same way that, say, Vader does, where Vader is his apprentice, but also he's part of ruling the galaxy with Palpatine. It's important to note, the character's evil even without the Sith. He doesn't have to be a... Yeah. He's he's straight up, you know, Augustus Caesar, even though it's Julius Caesar, in terms of... Overthrowing democracy and becoming a dictator for life. That's also an aspect of his character that is separate and except while it's connected to, but could exist separately from and still make him the villain of the series. So then we have Duel of the Fates. We have the really, really, I think, high point of the of the the movie, the uh, lightsaber battle between Qui Gon, Obi Wan, and Darth Maul. Very, very cool stuff. Um, There's moments where each of the characters are separated by um these little like laser shields laser shields or something that that come out in this little energy plant that they're in as they're fighting and in and ultimately what happens is Darth Maul gets the best of Qui-Gon and stabs him um right in the chest uh heart with a lightsaber uh unlike in the Obi-Wan series it does appear that a lightsaber straight to the chest does kill someone um <laughs> pissed you off so much <laughs> yeah that seems like that, that actually kills you in this uh this movie and then Obi-Wan um, plucky little Obi-Wan jumps out and is able to kill Darth Maul. And Darth Maul is the only force user that we ever get in all of Star Wars content that masters all seven lightsaber styles. He's one of the best individual 1v1 fighters that we ever see in any media. Obi-Wan is one of the on paper weakest. And the idea that Obi-Wan beats him is shocking. And it, it absolutely eats up Darth Maul because spoiler alert, smart Darth Maul, while chopped in half, does not die. Um, he gets spider legs and he ends up having this whole other thing that happens that you can see in Clone Wars Rebels, some of the accompanying books and comics, and then also he's connected to the solo film. Uh, and, and, Go and ahead. Fun, fun bit of trivia, too. The idea of a, of a, of a Sith Lord surviving, uh, even though being cut in half, that wasn't even the first time that had been portrayed in live-action Star Wars. That actually was two years earlier in Star Wars Dark Forces 2, uh, uh, Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2, where there's a Sith Lord that is cut in half and survives, despite that fact, as essentially, in his case, a hovering torso. So that had been in live-action film Star Wars, because that technically is the first bit of live-action film Star Wars after Return of the Jedi, two years earlier. Yeah, I think there's, like, a whole, like, Reddit case to be made that, like, the video games have really changed a lot of the canon, and, like, they've pulled from it a lot, because, yeah, um... And then Qui-Gon, as he's dying, tells Obi-Wan, train the boy. Obi-Wan takes Anakin back to the council in Coruscant. And then we have this great conversation between Obi-Wan and Yoda, where Yoda basically drops the bomb like, hey, bro, I don't give a shit what Qui-Gon said. I don't think the boy should be trained. However, I've been completely outvoted on this matter, and you can train the boy. Then we have the big celebratory uh, scene at the end of the 
the film. And um, there is a lot of clues for the uninitiated as to who Palpatine is, I think, in that final about 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, they really they really they really hammer that home. Go ahead, Jimmy. Somebody if it, if it was the two of you, I, I, I apologize. Somebody recently redirected me that they had found an old online forum from back when episode one was new of oh. people debating intelligently whether Palpatine was Darth Sidious. They're the same person. And okay, same actor. Like, but they, but they were, they were going deep. They were going to deep into, are they brothers or are they actually the same person? Is this a fake out? Is it, you know, all the different ways that you could have it be somebody different about whether or not, because it was not a hundred percent confirmed. It was just pretty, pretty clearly. Impressive. It wasn't confirmed. That's true. Yeah. Right. And so it, it was so blatant that ordinary audiences would just know that that was what was going on. If they had seen the original movies, um, if you hadn't seen the original movies, you would be able to tell that this guy is sinister in some way uh, or too sleazy or something. If you didn't do nothing, but for the people who were really deep in the lore, they had enough still left open it didn't stay open for long in the next movie, but it was open enough that it gave just one extra little gift of, do you want to have fun with this? Go have fun with this theory. I like I I, the only, kind of only reason I would have probably called them dumb is that, you know, it's the same actor that is playing the cloaked figure who's talking to Maul. And that, Palpatine. And he's called Palpatine. And that cloaked figure looks exactly, you know, it's just. Well, it it, it, it's a good thing that there are no twins in the Star Wars lore ever. <laughs> Um, or clones, or clones. I'm, I'm glad there's no clones or twins because that would have been just too uh, too coincidental. We're basically going towards the ending of this point of when we get this, you know, big celebration. They hold yes. what appears to be this glowing orb that is never mentioned or described again. Oh, I, well, I googled it. It's the orb of celebration, basically. It's it, really it brought it out at the right time. Even in the Wookie Wikipedia, it's like, ah, eh, we don't know. Well, but one thing I want to mention is that. Um, in some ways, I think this ending reflects like you talked about. Maybe the movie was too complex and had too many plot threads going in, and I, I agree with that. I think it has a little bit too much going on at the same time. I think the ending, in some ways, reflects that. So think about the original trilogy, like New Hope. How many how many effectively storylines are playing out at the end? One. There's the Death Star. They're, they're going against the Death Star, and there are people watching the fight going from back to the Rebel base. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. There's two plot lines going. There's Han. There's Han, Leia, and Lando. And then there is Luke and Vader. Those plot lines are going effectively separate there, but they're still pretty closely connected. Return of the Jedi ending. We got like three plot lines that are all going on at the same time. We got the battle of Endor on both the space and ground at the same time. At the same time, we've got the fight between Luke and Vader and the emperor on the, on the Death Star. It's starting to get a little bit tension between them, but they're still threaded together. How many, how many separate plot lines do we have going at the same time for this ending? I think there's four. So we've got Anakin doing that bullshit in terms of taking out the Trade Federation ship. We've got the Gungans in probably, I think, one of the worst bits of CGI in the film in terms of that all-CGI battle happening uh, on the flat, video game, grassy plane. Jamie, sorry, you were going to say something? I, I kind of like the Gungans going to war. I kind of okay. like I, I, I really like I really like I don't like the scene itself, but I like I like, I, I like the, the idea. War because I, when you have a army that just fights differently in a way mm-hmm. that makes sense. And it only makes a little bit of sense. Like these catapults throwing these water ball things is a little weird, but it, it kind of makes sense. It's kind of a combination of the super high tech and super not high tech that they have in the underwater thing. And the idea that they focus a lot on shields and hiding go hand in hand. I actually kind of loved it. And I didn't mind the CG. So I, that, that was 
I won't say highlight, but I hold a warm spot in my heart Good. for how the Gungans fight war. So that's, that's two. That's two. two. That's three. Padme. Jedi, and then the Jedi battle. And the Je- Jedi battle. Of those four Jedi battle, I'm curious for you guys to rank the four plots, but for me, the Jedi battle, I think, is first and foremost. Far and away. Far and away. Duel of the Fates, battling Darth Maul, Ray Park. Uh, 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 I uh, love, uh, in terms, again, physical acting done well. Him at that laser shield just pacing angrily back and forth, staring daggers at Qui-Gon, while Qui-Gon instead just goes into quiet med- uh, meditation. Love the different portrayal of those characters. Just well, but that, that's why, like, that's why it's so great that George, like, because I feel like this is a small detail that, like, George Lucas would put in because he understands how he wrote this whole world and that this whole thing. Like, the Jedi feed off aggression. In the middle of the battle, of the course Sith he feed off aggression. Yeah, yeah, so, so, of course he would be, he would be hyping himself up that way, that sort of back and forth thing. And of course Qui-Gon would be in a meditative stance. That's the little stuff that I, my headcanon is that Lucas was like, hey, this is how we have to portray that. Uh, for, if, I, if I'm doing my order, it would there go. If or if I just omit Jar Jar entirely from the Gun Gun, please fight, do, please do. Number two, that would be number two for me. I li- again, I like the technological difference. That's a great call there in terms of how those two are squaring and how those two are meeting. And again, the idea of a tribal people coming suddenly coming forward and fighting for their fighting for the land or else, it's a classic trope that can be portrayed well. And they uh, only do, and they only do after the ruling class of the of the of the fucking planet begs. down come down and and humble, humble themselves. Things. And he he insane yes, I know he does the blah 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 thing, which sucks. But insane yes, he says, You don't see yourself as better than me. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay, maybe we can work together. I don't know. I, kind of- I love that. So, someone earlier said that some people didn't like that scene. I I I like that scene just fine. She's formal, she's doing just the way she would. She is saying, Hey, you know, I this shows that she's good at politics and good at being a leader and the kind of leader that puts your people first, where she's saying, look, ignore all the pomp. I am the leader. I need your help. You are a person who can give help. You have power and authority and I respect you. And the I, it does kind of make you wonder why they never had that conversation in the past, like, 200 years or something. But still, it was very effective. It was a little interesting seeing the Jedi Neil also, though it would have been weirder if they didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, they didn't care. No, they, it's, they are diplomats. Fun. They are I, counselors. They know how to fit in. Yep. Re- when in Rome. But but I noticed it because it, it, it was a little weird. I, I watched their face in that scene more than anything else, and it was exactly what it would be from Qui-Gon, especially like, huh, all right, yeah, we're doing this. Uh, Spencer, can I, I guess, can I guess your ranking? Sure, please. I think your number three is Padme and uh, them them going to find the Trade Federation, and I think your final one is Anakin as a young boy futzing around on that ship. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. I, I could only suspend disbelief so much for that, and I was just oh, – th- I didn't that's like where, But But this 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 is pod racing, my man. I knew you would hate that line. I could have called it in advance. You would hate that line. Only a Sith speaks in his loose. Uh, like, and, I, and I don't oh, particularly oh, like so, Padme's so, plot. So you want him to say this may or may not be pod racing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, under such subject to further debate and committee. Pod racing. But I didn't. I, I didn't like. I didn't like. I didn't like Anakin on the ship either. It was unnecessary. I didn't have to do it. It just didn't have to happen. It just didn't need to be in the film at all. There was too much going on, as Spencer's pointing out in this in this segment. There's too much happening. It's unnecessary. I understand he has reflex quote reflexes because he sees the future, or whatever. I get that, but it's just too much. It's too much for me. 
I think they could, they could have limited that. They could have narrowed these plot lines down or just been other characters describing or reacting to them or just even briefer little flashes of them, and it would have given us more time to digest and appreciate some otherwise well-done scenes. Jumping constantly between them, we never get enough of a chance to really sink in. The whole movie kind of did that a little bit. I, yeah. I, I didn't say it earlier, but when we got to the Gungans, I sat there, and I thought, we're in the first, like, five minutes. I thought this took a lot longer. We've had 75 scene cuts. And it's five minutes in, and we're already at the Gungans. And, and now we're, they, they had a lot and now we're leaving. Through. Right. I, I'm glad they didn't linger. Uh, like, they had a lot of stuff to get through. But it was going so much faster than even I remembered in a way that um, wasn't maybe good. was yeah. necessary, but didn't always feel good. All right, Spencer, you were, you had a jag there. Are you, are you, are you, I'm going to give you the floor to finish that, that, that segment. No, no. I, 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 I think we have covered the plot, and I'm very curious to go into some segments now so we can focus on some details and minutiae what people thought. I, I don't I don't have any set. I mean, I, we don't need to do, like, best line or anything. I mean, it's not, it's not new material. I prepared a best line uh, we, we, we are here for you, sir. We can, we, well, we can cover this. Okay, I'll, I'll do a best line. Yeah, so I think we may have lost Jamie there for a second. I, but I, I can give us a couple. Go ahead, Spencer. I, I, you referenced it already. I actually love Qui-Gon's just little kind of jaunty, there's always a bigger fish. I, I love the sense of humor in his character, and I like that there's an element of that that's already been brought into um, the Obi-Wan series in terms of the aspect of him. That it, to a certain degree, he is unflappable, and he has a certain sense of humor associated with how he responds to the world. It reflects, in a certain degree, maybe excessive confidence other than the fact that he keeps winning. Until um, he does it. Until he does it. Until he doesn't, which caught everybody off guard. Uh, I like qui Gon's line with Obi-Wan about don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should always be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. You talked before about how much that embodies their particular philosophy of the force and how much that informs their powers in terms of that connection to the living force and needing to be in the moment in that way. I like that kind of... I like the elements of going into the descriptions and backgrounds of the uh, Force philosophies. Um, I love the line at the end of the film where it's an effective hook about the uncertainty in the Jedi Order about uh, Mace Windu. There's no doubt the mysterious warrior was a Sith, Yoda, but always two there are. No more, no less. A master and the apprentice, Windu. But which one was destroyed? The master or the apprentice? We know, but it's an effective degree of tension for the characters that they are so realizing to what degree they are in the dark with respect to this. And um, we already, you already talked about it. The back and forth between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon about respecting the Jedi Council's wishes. I like just how willfully Qui-Gon is thumbing his nose, thumbing his nose at them. How much he's just like, eh, I cooperate with you and it serves me. Right now, I don't think, I don't think you're right, so I'm going to ignore it. It's a different yeah. read on the character, a different read on the, on, on what the Jedi Order would tolerate than we come to expect. Um, yeah, all oh, that was great. Um, I got one. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's really standard, but, uh, I like when, when Anakin goes, what does that have to do with anything? And Yoda goes, everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Sure. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering for the uninitiated. This is very, um, uh, the, the, I keep harking on Mega Talk Star Wars. There's so many parallels between the Force and the Jedi and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire general, purpose of Siddhartha Gautama's life, of the Buddha's life, was to alleviate suffering in the world. He used that word suffering, and he lands on the word suffering here, which is basically these these attachments, these emotional connections that you have, um, those are all temporary. It, when you have, uh, you know, if, if I need my mother to be happy, 
someone can take my mother away from me, right? Like mm-hmm. all of these are temporary solutions to the impermanence of life. And this is what Yoda's talking about here. I love the parallel. And I really, uh, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll get to the point. Do your thing. Let's award best line. And then I got a Yoda thing. Okay. Well, I mean, for me, um, no, I'm, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him credit just because of what's such an iconic line you mentioned. I would actually give the line you mentioned. I'd forgotten about it and that written it down, but it is one of the more iconic lines of the film in terms of how much it just summarizes where they're coming from with respect to it and the fear they have with respect to this boy and what he represents. But and he's Jamie, right. He's right, Jimmy. You, you're back with us. What What are your favorite quotes? My favorite quote is from uh, from um, Yoda. The uh, anger leads to hate. Ah, yeah, that's what we, that's what we were awarded. That's what we were awarded. <laughs> okay. yeah. it, it is, it is one part that's, you know, I, I think they ever do it. I think the idea that he says it's bad that you miss your mom in the two days after you've been taken from her for the rest of your life. And I think that leads to he, a lot of the problems of the Jedi. Is, but, but this line is, is a purely good part. Like it makes sense. This says why you need to reject each of these points and each part's a decision. And, you know, you, you are kind of are in control of that end goal, but you have to act early in the process before you kind of reap what you sow kind of thing. I, I, I like want to clarify. Yoda is not saying that this kid should not miss his mom. He's saying yeah. that that makes him a bad potential trainee for the Jedi because he has grown too much. He has too many uh, emotional attachments that can be used against him later. Yes. If they were to equip him with it, hold on, not done, equip him with a lot of power, which is what the training of the Jedi do. And so he's saying it might be, I don't know, dangerous to give a kid a ton of power who has these emotional connections. And, I mean, that doesn't play out at all. So, I mean, it's not like he's proved right or anything. Go ahead, Jamie. Oh, just, like, we only want sociopaths to be Jedi? We only want, like, uh, I, I'm just saying. Well, to the degree that five-year-olds are all sociopaths, yes. That's that's no, what they're bringing to bear. He, he, he's not, he's saying he's too old. That's yeah. what His point is he's too old. Not that you shouldn't love your mother. I have also written down a list of nostalgia moments. We want to go through some of those too. Jamie, did you actually put down a couple yourself? Uh, so I'm interested in Jamie's nostalgia moment. Pod racing in Beggars Canyon because I, I, I see someone surprised. I just fell out of my chair. I thought I look. You expected sarcasm. You tell, yeah, when you tell me I'm coming out. Full Roman Reigns. I'm doing the heel. I don't like episode one. I would think the first thing you would trash is the pod race. And that's your nostalgic moment. You have me, you have me on edge, sir. You, you have no idea how many hours I spent playing the pod racing N64 game. Great game. And, the, and they follow the path exactly. So every time I see it, I get to go back and play the video game in my head. So nostalgic moment is not the whole scene. It goes on too long and I can dislike some stuff, but that part where they're in the canyon. Best, okay, best that is, nostalgic moment. That of is shocking to me. Okay, I, I've got a few other ones. It's on my list, but I've got a few other ones to mention. Um, this is John Williams at near the top of his game. Oh, yeah. John Williams, in terms of integrating music in the scene and some of the very memorable pieces, this is high-quality stuff. Between the Duel of the Fates, and I also forgot how much I like the droid march. of Whenever the Federation Army arrives and marches into a scene, it's a very memorable little riff as well. So that, absolute kudos. I have to give credit to the crawl, the intro crawl of where Star Wars appears when we go through the credits of what just immediate effect that has in my psychology when that music yeah. starts. And those, the, the Pavlovian. It, it, it's incredible in terms of how much I literally start salivating when that happens. Absolute credit. Mentioned Darth Maul. 
all the kudos in the world. He's got three lines in the entire damn film. He appears to get killed off in it. He's still one of the things I most remember about it because of how well Ray Park brings the role in terms of his acting and the violence and the vehemence of his character. That was I awesome. love even his casual use of the force, too. Like, when he's barely even looking and he just picks up something and throws it to open a door. Yep. Or push. All well done. Uh, seeing Coruscant. This is the first I ever saw Coruscant live action. It I is. Have, I have to give actual absolute credit to that. Between seeing Coruscant, between the Senate room, all that was great. Final one to mention, I think he kind of has to get it just because of how well he's done over decades with the role, but Ian McDermott is Palpatine and how what, how yeah. how well Palpatine... Like, of the of the, of the acting in this film, most of the acting is shit, but Liam Neeson, Ian McGregor, and Ian McDermott, they all do well with their roles, particularly Liam Neeson and Ian McDermott. In terms of every scene that they're in, they own the scene, and they bring everybody else up from what they bring to bear. Yeah, I mean, I would say that mine is, um, I think you could probably throw R2-D2 and C-3PO in there. Sure. Um, I would probably throw, uh, some people would put Tatooine, you would not. You think the Tatooine thing's overdone, and I get that. And I, I actually agree with you on that. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not dismissing it's, that. I think you're right. It's gotten worse over time. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um I would say that, that, that Palpatine's my number one here, but a, well, but a 1B for me is Yoda. And here's my Yoda jag. All right. I think it's become really cool to be critical of the Yoda character. Like it's become like the sort of like cool Star Wars, like a fan thing to do. Like, the hipster response. Like let, let me point out that like Yoda wasn't a hundred percent right about everything ever. Therefore Yoda's not cool. Everybody needs to shut the fuck up. Yoda's the coolest fucking character in Star Wars. He has always been, always will be. Like it's, he made, he elevated Empire Strikes Back to the best Star Wars movie of all time because when he pops on screen, he is enchanting. He is charismatic. The fact he talks weird, the fact that he has more power, but he is smaller. The fact he is 900 years old. He's like Moses. Like it, he is a fascinating, fascinating character that George Lucas created. And I do not like this new hipster thing of like, let's shit on Yoda. Um, the fact that Yoda could not detect Palpatine does not mean that the Jedi suck and the Jedi Council sucks and that Yoda's not that powerful. All it means is that Palpatine was a fucking some bitch. Like he was a legit level villain. He was a worthy adversary to the Jedi as sure. it bore out. So it, it's a credit to Palpatine and it's not a dismissal of Yoda. I am not a big fan of all of these like revisionist history on the Yoda character as if we didn't all fucking love Yoda for 30 years. Yoda rules. End of rant. I know, I'm actually with you. I think a lot of the criticism of Yoda has gotten way too extreme. My only two complaints I've, ever, I've voiced about the character previously is I don't like how much the prequels emphasize the weird word choice of his just because it didn't, it, it felt, it felt like a, a, almost a hyperbolic version of just a, what was a little riff in the original films, but that's minor. I also that's a you thing too. That's a you thing because you, you, that, you, you very admit much a most, you will admit most people like the weird talking thing, right? Yeah. Which is why it's so, so much more done in the prequels. People loved yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Fully understand that that's just a me thing. Not necessarily as much a me thing. I this is more in the, the film sense. I don't like that they emphasized Yoda being so good, at, so skilled with the lightsaber and being so associated with the lightsaber in terms of his like fight with Palpatine and everything else. I think that's unnecessary. I don't necessarily like that in the prequels in particular. To be a good Jedi, you have to be good with the lightsaber. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's in keeping with other lore. I think they. Heavily overemphasized that, including in some lines about your sword is your life and like attacks the clones. I think that's just a general framing mistake. But in terms of Yoda as a character, I agree. It's gotten way too hyperbolic in terms of saying the fact that he isn't perfect, the fact he didn't see everything, means that he's worthless. 
that's obviously wrong. That's obviously just the internet jacking off. I think, I think that's got. I, I, I must just not be online enough that I, I I haven't really heard the hate on him. The the hate I have is two things. One, I I hate the CG that they used for episode one. This shows that I love him. I misremembered. I thought that his CG in episode one was as good as two and three until I rewatched and realized, oh, no, wait, that's the roughest CG in episode one. They maybe just because I'm comparing it to the better CG in other movies mm-hmm. or maybe because I know they had the puppet like the puppet still the Frank Oz puppet was still there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I liked him riding around in his little Roomba scooter. I thought that made sense, actually, for him cause, so that he's not going slow and can keep up with just other people walking. <laughs> I liked most of the stuff he said, even the stuff I don't like that he said um, are thing, things I don't like about the Jedi Order are things that I kind of liked how it was lampshaded in number eight of. No, they were not perfect. They had sure. excellent intentions and were very wise in many ways, but they were blind in a lot of ways specifically about their own failings and the problems that they created and their pride and everything like that. So even the things I didn't like about what he did fit just fine. Um, Let's go. If we could, let's go into our last segment that Jamie, you had set up previously a a subject of. So I I had an idea for the movies Uh, instead of saying, is it better or worse than where, and and this is partially because I want to make sure that even if I am being grumpy on a movie, that everything stays very cordial because we all are fans and we all like each other too. Oh, I for sure. We're say, just wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I want each of us to give an honest answer. Why is this movie the best of all nine? But then also each of us give an answer. Why is this movie the worst of all nine? I also just wanted to make you say that the prequels were the worst. So, you know, uh, this is the way I can make you do that. I, I'll, I can go first if you like. Um, sure. Best of all nine. Best betrayal of Jedi combat. Of all the nine, nine films, if or Jedi at the master of their craft, I think I don't particularly like the overdone battle scenes in two and three. Um, I think particularly particularly Attack on Clones. I think they really just made them way too flippy and exotic. Attack of the Clones. Spencer hates the movie so much he doesn't know the name of it. Attack of the Clones, not Attack of Attack of the Clones. You just stack yeah. them on top of each other. Clones on top of clones. That's what I'm saying. I think it got way too flippy and way too overly acrobatic and way too spinny. This is much more, they are trying to kill each other and they are doing the most efficient move to do that. They're just incredibly skilled individuals. The original three films, they got the passion right, the filmmaking right, but some of the fights are a little bit awkward, particularly in four. And then we can go into the, the, the sequels, but the choreography there is mixed in, ver- in, in, in terms of how it's portrayed and how it's done. Some scenes being much better than others, but... In terms of the setup of those scenes of those fights with John Williams playing in the background, Duel of the Fates, Jedi going each other the best of their ability, and fighting intelligently with bluffs and feints and moves and everything else, it's marvelously well done. Great scene. Uh, worst? Do, do, do you want to do your worst? Do you want to do all three of the best first? No, no, no let, him do, let him do your worst. Let him do your worst. Okay. Right. We'll go one at a time. I, I think Attack on Clones is some very bad stuff that we'll go into when we do it, but worst uh, may... Maybe for this film, the where the dialogue meets the acting in terms of doing the scenes. There are so many moments between characters of where the dialogue isn't that bad necessarily. It's not great, but you could be done better. The acting, these are quality actors. They could be do it. Where those two mix is among is probably the worst in the Star Wars series. Of where why wouldn't you just do another take of that? Why wouldn't you give another um, another opportunity to that? Why wouldn't you polish that dialogue a little bit better? It's inexcusable that this made it through committee 
in terms of these, some of these scenes being okay with how badly they are portrayed and how badly they are done. It suggests in my mind that Lucas was getting, they allowed Lucas a level of freedom that they probably have shouldn't have. And it, it, it laid out to what we got to see of where this reeks of no one felt comfortable second guessing until after they saw the end product. Yeah, when Spencer said the committee, I, I, I put one finger up, which is the committee of one. It was yeah. just Lucas, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start the segment with why Jamie is the best podcast host and why he's the worst, and then why Spencer's the best podcast host and why he's the worst. <laughs> so uh, Jamie is the best podcast host because this fucking segment rules, and he came, he came up with it. Really good mm-hmm. idea. He's the worst podcast host because he might have suggested that the movie should have ended an hour in, and the whole rest of the movie should have been Qui-Gon trying to free all the slaves on Tatooine, which I think would have bored <laughs> the hell out of everybody. Spencer's the best podcast host because he finishes my lines and he explains things for me that I don't know. And Spencer's the worst podcast host because he doesn't like how Yoda speaks. What the fuck? That's weird. Um, okay. Uh, like I do not. All right. Now, um, why is Phantom Menace the best of the series? I think, if I had to make the case, I would say it is the best of the series because it makes all the other ones make sense. It is the necessary background and explanation to the rest of the story that brings it, that makes it a true fantasy epic as opposed to one-off movies. You have to have background, you have to have lore, you have to have world building, and this movie does it in spades. And so I think that is the reason why it is the worst. Um, Jar Jar Binks, at one point, single at one point, at one point, has a blaster on his foot, and as he and as he stomps around, he shoots droids in the chest. That is. Dog shit. So yeah, that's why that's the worst of the Star Wars movies. Is that why you were you were so okay with me omitting him from the Gungan fight scene in terms of how I was ranking it? It was awful. I mean, it really was bad. I love the Gungan. The idea of the of the natives having to fight and fighting differently, which Jamie points out, which is a really cool thing that they did. Come on, him him with a blaster on his foot, like connected to a shoelace. No, Jamie. Finished. All right, I'm going to say that this is the best movie of them all because of really interesting world building that you could not have, that I would never have dreamed up. And I, I have my criticisms that it wasn't all paid off correctly, and maybe this is why I get down on it. I'm not trying to, you know, give a neg compliment where this isn't a real compliment. It is a compliment. The Jedi Order being developed as a flawed entity that doesn't realize it's flawed really interesting and the fact Mm. that you know i didn't appreciate it at the time because it wasn't for the audience maybe that i was at the time but trade trade negotiations for an embargo leading to all of this is actually really interesting they made a really in-depth thing there's the bankers guild they talk about in another one and this is the trade federation and they have these huge amounts of power um they've done in an amazing way what they kind of did in uh, number four, where they just made a world and made the world that was bigger than what was on screen. So after being gone for so long, they came back and they succeeded to once again, make a world bigger than what it had been and bigger than what they were even just showing you. And especially I loved what they developed on Coruscant. Um, Why is the worst? Whoa, clear out everybody. It exists. Um, I, I have two answers because I hate that. <laughs> uh, 
You're not allowed to. Is, You're not allowed first, to. Pick your favorite. The first one is just the dialogue, just the just the talking, just the pacing. Yeah. You can call it the acting. You can call it the CG green screen. I call it the writing. Uh, the lines are painful almost across the board. The actors that are amazing at them, like Qui-Gon, can you know, make a meal out of them, so to speak. But even then, only like a snack, like only, only a little meal. There's just not enough good with them. Um, and so that's what I would say would be the, the, the worst. That, that's why it's the worst. Uh, the, I'm, I'm going to give a second one because you always get to pick as many best lines as you want. Um, They're nominees! And this is going to sound counter to what I said about the world building, but it's more counter to your idea of it being, you know, setting safe for everything else. In so many ways, it is unnecessary. There's a joke that you can just skip it, but it's not even a joke. You can just skip it, and you'd miss out on a lot of great stuff. You miss out on Duels in the Face. You miss out on Qui-Gon. You miss out on a lot of good stuff that's in there, but uh, uh, Lee is the one who had told me this, I think. It's like a perfect ice cream cone, but there's a spiral of dog shit going all the way through it, and you can't extract the one without the other. Um, it's just so unnecessary to everything else. You never hear Mighty Chlorians again. You never hear pod racing again in a, any meaningful way. You could just start with episode two or just start with four and then jump back to two and skip one entirely. So it's unnecessary, questionable choices, and terrible acting slash writing slash dialogue slash whatever you have. Just the personal interactions are painful at every turn. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I know a lot of people share that opinion that you can skip one. I, I don't think that's a, that's a good call because I, it, I, then it doesn't explain why Anakin's getting trained. But, I mean, it's just my opinion. Well, you know, why was Qui-Gon trained? Nobody asks why was Qui-Gon trained. He was trained well, because this is, user. Yeah, because this is the story of Anakin Skywalker. So you, you want to tell his backstory. This is, this is, it's not the story of Qui-Gon Jinn and him freeing the slaves in Tatooine. <laughs> okay, for the record, would you rather watch that? Because I would rather watch that. If we have Qui-Gon <laughs> it would, it would be awesome. Qui-Gon and they get an actor good enough, not like Solo, but an actor good enough to be worthy of young Qui-Gon, I will watch the shit out of that every day. I, so I'd de-age Liam Neeson and let him do it. I, I'm fine with that. So yeah. I think we are. I think we're at the end of our podcast here, fellas. This is a. Uh, I, I knew. Look, I knew this was going to be a rumble. It was always going to be a rumble. We're talking episode one, and I like it. So that's always going to be a fight with Star I, Wars fans. I, I, um, any? Let, let's go to concluding thoughts. I will start with Spencer. It was better than I remembered. There's a lot more worth remembering here. There's a lot more worthy of note than I gave it credit for. From years of not watching it, from years of the internet speaking in a vacuum. I'd forgotten that there was a there's a fair bit worthy of recommending and a fair bit to be impressed about or a fair bit to even like from a filmmaking standpoint. All that's worthy of note. Is it my favorite Star Wars? God, no. Is it my least favorite Star Wars? No. No, his least and, favorite is uh, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, we're going to argue that when we get there. Um, but I, I, it, it isn't probably even... Now, having rewatched it, I don't even think it'd be in the bottom two. My, I don't even, I don't even think it'd be in bottom three for me. Woo! I think, I, I moving think it, on up, moving on up. It, it offered enough to justify itself that even though it has fundamental glaring, how on earth would an editor allow this to get forward flaws? There is that undercurrent of genius that is undercurrent of creativity that George Lucas can offer that deserves to be remembered about this film. And maybe as we rewatch the prequels, the prequels entire. So I will give it that credit that George Lucas is a man with a vision. Maybe as he found out, even with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, when he let other people direct the things, it's good to let somebody else kind of steer the ship. But shout out Dave Filoni. 
credit where it's due. The man, the, the man, the man makes you, he inspires the imagination in a way that few can. Jamie, concluding thoughts. Almost the opposite, but still somehow sort of agreeing. Um, I liked it less than I remembered, but the parts I liked, but there were so many good parts that I completely forgotten about. So the worst was worse than I remembered, but the good was better than I remembered. And I, I have a lot of things that if I ever, if I had skipped it, I would be really sad. So I, I am shocked and surprised by how much after watching it on my own, I came away saying that was worse than I remembered. But then after especially talking with you all, I also love it more than I expected to. So I'm a terrible heel. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that is uh, my concluding thoughts is that um, they're almost beat for beat what Jamie said, which is um, it. There are really, really, really low moments, but there are really, really high moments. Um, and so uh I don't know. I, in, in totality, I like the film. I am always going to fight and box about it, but that is what makes this fun. And if you are listening and you have not figured this out yet, uh, this is wrestling. Uh, Jamie's the heel. Spencer is the, the middle, middle guy and I'm the face of the company. And we came out and we wrestled for, for, uh, about an hour and a half, two hours. And it was a lot of fun. And, uh, that does not stop the fact that we all love Star Wars and we all love each other. And we love that you listen to the podcast. So thanks everybody for joining us. We will be back. With our next round, I don't know when it'll be, but pretty soon, reviewing episode two, Attack of the Clones. And if you've gotten this far in the podcast, I would venture a guess that you do like listening to us talk. So if that's the case, go out and subscribe to Pot of the Dragon. It's an unofficial Magnum Talks podcast about HBO's upcoming House of the Dragon. It is going to be a lot of fun. Spencer and I are going to be reviewing every single episode in depth as we jump back into the world of Westeros. Can't wait for that to happen. And I cannot wait to review episode two with you guys. Until next time, see ya.